The Lifestylist, episode 116, featuring Emily Fletcher. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. All right, you guys, I need to take a moment to tell you about the Amp Coil. This is the device in health and healing that I am most excited about. This is the coolest thing I've seen to come along in quite a while. What is the Amp Coil? It's a self-healing energy-based device that you use to take care of your mind, body, and spirit. So the Amp Coil combines five very powerful pieces of technology. One is bioresonance, biofeedback, Tesla technology, PEMF, and sound and vibration. So this is a game changer that you've got to check out. It's the first PMF device with customization and biofeedback voice analysis. It's really easy to use and learn where some of these devices can be very confusing. Uh, When you detox using the Amp Coil, which is one of its main applications, they've written programs to make it really gentle. You can neutralize microbes and metals and toxins and really fix the bioterrain within your body. And it's a passive activity. Like when you use the Amp Coil, you're just chilling. It's very relaxing. It feels really good. I don't know. It's just awesome. So I want you to go back and check out episode number 98 with the founders, Aaron and Geneva. And then just get over to ampcoil.com and check it out. It's a family-owned business. They're very helpful, very knowledgeable. You can just literally call them on the phone and they'll talk to you immediately and answer your questions. So go to ampcoil.com if you want to find out more. Today's show is backed up by foursigmatic.com. These guys are doing some amazing stuff. Now, you know I'm really into their medicinal mushroom extracts. I talk about them all the time. I use them literally every day. I'm not even playing. But now they've got some other really cool things. They've got a green coffee bean extract. They have a brain stack, a sleep stack. They've got a couple other mushroom-infused coffee mixes. They've got a matcha tea with lion's mane. A lot of really potent organic super chronic, super food, and herbal blend. So I want you to get over to foursigmatic.com and enter the code LUKESTORY to save 15% off. That's foursigmatic.com. Using the code LUKESTORY saves you a whopping potent 15% off. Happy New Year to you valiant, brave-souled humans that made it through another year on planet Earth. It is the second day of January 2018. Happy, happy New Year. Really stoked to bring the first episode of the year at you, recorded at Ziva Meditation in New York City with our second-time guest, Emily Fletcher. Emily's got a true gift for teaching about meditation with equal parts woo-woo and science, my favorite. I love merging those. But in the interest of time, I'm going to skip my big New Year's speech and just jump right into the episode. But if you want to go back and hear a really deep and heartfelt recap of 2017 and what I think is probably my most meaningful public talk of all time, I'd like to encourage you to go back in the feed a couple days and listen to our special 
bootleg broadcast, Luke, live from Aspen Shakti, which came out a couple days ago on New Year's Eve. Okay, back to Emily's show. So as we kick off the new year, this episode is meant to get your head right. I want to encourage you to meditate more than you have been. Uh, If you haven't started meditating, this is the year to learn. We need you. We need conscious souls on this damn planet. And as Emily says profoundly in this here episode, we don't meditate to get good at meditation. We meditate to get good at life. Isn't that great? And so, so true in my own experience. Before we jump into the talking points, I want to give you a special invitation to join my brand new Facebook group. Yes, it's the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group. And to find that, you just go to Facebook and search The Lifestylist Podcast, and you will find me and all the other listeners hanging out, having a really great party that you've been missing out on. So come over there and join us. All right, so the talking points. Here's what goes down in this episode with Emily. How meditation promotes empathy and gives you access to right brain intuition. Why her practice involves meditating twice a day for 20 minutes and why it's so important to follow that tradition. Tips for keeping your practice, especially that elusive afternoon session. Ah, it's been a tough one for me at times. Why proper meditation training is key to avoiding frustration. Other tons of practical tips on how to keep your meditation consistently improving. What are the three M's, how they will change your life, and why they are the basis of Emily's upcoming book, The M Word. The fact that meditation is a psychic detox where old negative feelings may surface and be released. The practice of Vipassana, that's 10-day retreat meditations, and the powerful effects they produce. Why 44% of American women are on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. Scary stuff. That's why I said, share this episode with someone who needs to learn how to meditate. This is not right, y'all. And then how the only way around it is through it when it comes to dealing with our scariest issues, thoughts, and feelings. How meditation improves the communication between the right and left hemispheres of your brain. And how that produces the most powerful manifestation in your life. Some spiritual tools for manifesting your goals and intentions. The dangers of the I'll be happy when syndrome and what to do instead. Then we examine the proverb, when you climb the mountain, you get to see all the mountains you have left to climb. What a bummer, but uh, we managed to frame that in a way that makes it doable. And how to not give up on yourself when you're climbing those damn mountains, all right? How to use self-referral for happiness instead of material referral. The miraculous effect working with a life coach had on Emily. How meditation fixes your fight or flight response to life. The effects meditation has on your neurotransmitters. What are mirror neurons and why they matter? All right. So this is a info packed episode. Emily is brilliant. I think this one we did at her studio in New York was even better than the first time she came on, which was in when I was just starting out. I think she was maybe my fifth or sixth interview. Uh, and we did it here in my home studio in LA. So it was cool to be in her space and just really create a nice vibe. So I'm super excited to make Emily the first show of 2018. I want to make sure you're subscribed to this show on your podcast app so that you don't miss next Tuesday's show with Parsley Health founder and MD Robin Burzen, where we unpack the giant topic of natural childbirth versus the Western medicine approach. And you dudes listening, don't think that you can skip that one. There's a lot in there for you too, especially if you plan on having some kids, all right? Super, super important stuff. And I think uh, right now, uh, more than ever, we really need to be considering how we're birthing the future generations. And don't forget, y'all, if you enjoy this episode, please remember to share it with a friend who could use some meditation in their life. You'll be doing myself, the show, them, and all of our guests a huge service. And now, with much eager excitement, I present to you Miss Emily Fletcher on meditation. 
Emily Fletcher, welcome back to the Lifestylist Podcast. How many two-time guests have you had? Only a couple, actually. I think you might be the third. I really wanted to be the first. But this one's special because, well, the other ones just live in LA. That's really the reason why. Um, But this one's special because you were one of my first guests. I think you were maybe even in like my first 10 episodes or something like that. Amazing. if, If I have my facts right, you agreed. I don't know if you knew this at the time, but you agreed to do the show before I actually even had a show. Because I, I recorded maybe 15 episodes before I launched it. Nice. Because I wanted to have a bunch in the can. I had Start a little, before you're had, ready. Yeah, I had a little strategy and it worked because here we are. I am celebrated a, a year anniversary June 6th. Congratulations. So I'm up to, by the time this comes out, probably over a hundred and something episodes now. Bravo. So yeah, so thanks for your early support, even when I had zero credibility. My pleasure. So it's great to be in your new space, you guys listening, and um, those of you watching on Facebook and Instagram, we are in Ziva Meditation right on Broadway. Is this, we're in Soho then, We're in huh? Soho. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. like in the thick of it. So the old spot was also nice, but this is like super legit tricked out yeah you guys have upgraded. yeah we had custom built benches that light up we oh, had a sound no system we had an artist and student my friend nick onkin painted this mural uh, says what you seek is in you on the wall yeah i love that i'm glad we rearranged the camera too because i had like a really not thoughtful shot set up at first so, <laughs> like for the facebook live and instagram we do have like the very cinematic end of the room here but yeah Good. it's really cool i'm yeah. happy for your success thank you yeah and i see you out in the world everywhere too like on social media and stuff it seems like you have a lot going on so i can't wait to find out what's been up Mm. so let's just start um let's start right there because if somebody wants to hear your story they can go back to that early episode and this will be literally like a sequel to that and sort of an update on 2.0 emily fletcher so what's new in your world right now with ziva and all this move and everything i feel like what's not new i feel like life is speeding up in this way that i'm really learning how to surf and as a recovering control freak that is good for me because life's happening so quickly that i can't control anything and so i'm just surfing 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 um, but we have a new studio i have a new director of operations we just shot and are soft launching a new online course I just did my first national TV spot. I was on the Today Show two weeks ago. We're going to be on Taxi TV here in New York in a couple weeks. Had an interview with the executive producer of The View and then met some of the co-hosts today. So like we're we're going, like it's happening. I had the executive editor of Cosmo and 17 here. And it's like we're we're reaching a, a tipping point, both Ziva and meditation. And I really feel like my mission in this life is to take meditation mainstream, to really bring it to, because the people in New York and LA and San Francisco, like they're already either meditating or think they're meditating. And I don't think I'm really their teacher. I mean, I'll be anyone's teacher that wants me to be their teacher, but I think that I resonate more with like pragmatic, skeptical audience, people who are high performers. They don't necessarily want meditation to be a part of their identity, but they're using it as a tool to perform better. Because my whole gig is like, we don't meditate to get good at meditation. We meditate to get good at life. And I think that that message is really resonating with people right now, especially as the neuroscience is coming out to sort of back up what all of us have been proving to ourselves for a few decades now. Well, you're so right that I think different people will buy into meditation depending on the type of brain they have. So to me, I'm like a touchy-feely you know, kind of um, fluid person, right, that goes off intuition. I like to hear a little of the science just to know I'm not getting duped and I'm not being really gullible into like buying into something or putting energy or money into something. But I just want to like feel the experience a little bit of something like meditation. And once I did, I was like, I'm in. But I like your approach. And well, we will definitely talk about that for someone that won't make it back to your earlier episode that was so focused on meditation. But 
I've always liked your approach and that you know the neuroscience and you can come at it from that point of view. Because there is a large portion of the population that interact with the world from that particular mental position, right? And those are some of the people that probably need meditation the worst. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. It's like your skeptic analytical. I'm picturing like um, the archetypal alpha male dude that's like crushing working in a corporation or a startup or something like that mm -hmm. and thinks that all this stuff, yoga and meditation, all this is very woo woo and a waste of time because they're about the bottom line. Mm -hmm. When in fact, if it can be, I think, approach from from the way that you're delivering it which is very accessible but also logical you can probably reach the right people that way so i love your mission yeah i mean and we're also very much talking about the bottom line like i have zero qualms about putting candy coating on the medicine like i'm fully selling better sex more money better parking karma because i don't care why you take <laughs> the medicine right i just care that you take it if you right. come to learn meditation because you want less cellulite great you're still going to be less of a dick can I curse on here? Totally. No, please. <laughs> okay, the more, the better. Yeah. Um, because it's like, even if you're coming to meditate, I think we all come to meditation for whatever our selfish reasons are. We're either coming to it because we can't sleep or we have anxiety or stress or migraines, or most of us are trying to solve something personally or selfishly when we first come to it. And so I don't care what selfish reasons you come to the practice. If you actually do the practice, you become more altruistic, more compassionate. Your insula, which is the empathy center of your brain, starts to connect with the dorsomedial prefrontal cortex, which is the piece of our brain that processes information about people that we perceive as separate. And so quite literally, you start to see more of yourself inside of others and more of others inside of you. What? So meditation uh, promotes empathy then? Mm -hmm. And specifically with people that we perceive as separate. So you're a Republican and I'm a Democrat. You're black, I'm white. You know, you live in a red state, I live in a blue state. And so I find, and as you know this, because you've had firsthand experience, but most of us only have access to our left brain, which is in charge of individuality. And the analogy that we use that comes from the Vedas is that when you're in your left brain, you're only identified with this one singular wave on the ocean. And once you start to meditate, you start to have access to the right brain, which actually is in charge of totality, not individuality. And so you start to see and feel and experience this more expanded version of yourself. Like the lines of individuality start to blur a bit and you start to have this visceral reaction to, as I help you, I help myself. And as I hurt you, I hurt myself. And that might sound like, well, how's that gonna get me more money? But the reality is like, economy is changing business is changing capitalism is changing like we are moving into a different economy and and google which ps like their founders meditate you know they're we're moving into a sharing economy there is undeniably this rising of the divine feminine and that doesn't mean specifically female but there is a more feminine way of doing business that does require compassion and altruism and sharing and collaboration and collaboration ps can be a competitive strategy so it's not about just touchy-feely, woo-woo, let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya. But when you meditate, you actually start to pull the lens of your awareness back, which gives you a greater ability to hold many things in one awareness, which I think helps you to strategize, both in your personal and your professional life. How many times a day are you meditating right now yourself? Twice. Twice a day, mm -hmm. without fail. I mean, Do you ever miss days here I, and there? Yeah, I miss days, sure. Actually, yesterday. I missed my second meditation yesterday. And <laughs> I was on my way home. My husband and I were going to have like a date night. And I got home and I passed out on the couch. And I felt like such a dick because <laughs> <laughs> I was so tired. I couldn't keep my eyes open. I was like, what's wrong with me? Why do I not have energy? And then I realized, oh, Emily, you didn't do your second meditation. <laughs> Who values date night more, you or he? 
Well, we're in a really interesting spot right now. I feel like I'm having an affair with my husband. Um, We've been together for seven years, married for two, and he's just really stepping up and really um, just being so brave and so honest and so committed to his own growth. And it's really inspiring me to do the same. And and so I feel like we're both just all in and really, yeah, sort of developing. It feels like our relationship's on a whole new trajectory. Was he into meditation and introspection, kind of personal development when you guys met, or is that something that he adopted? He actually loves to share that he learned to meditate before I ever did. (laughs) And uh, he actually went to this monastery in Tibet. Uh, Is that a lie? That's a lie. He was in Thailand, not Tibet. He has been to Tibet, but he actually learned to meditate in Thailand. He went to this monastery, shaved his head, did 10 days silent, two meals, no, no eye contact, no reading. Um, like he went full, full out. And that was his first even toe into the water into meditation. And then he lived in this, <laughs> this place he calls Yoga Island in Thailand, where he was doing nothing but yoga and juice cleanses all day. And, uh, but he's also like a business dude. He's like a technology strategist product guy. So he's very, very left brain. He's the single most intelligent human I've ever met. Really? Yeah. And wow. I, I say that, I mean, I know I'm his wife, so it's hard for me to be objective, but I, I can't think of anyone I've met that's smarter than him. Wow. That's cool. It's so exciting to be married to him. Um, but so he, anyway, he loves to share, like when people are like, Oh, did Emily get you into meditation? He's like, no, I did it before she ever even knew how to meditate. <laughs> but I introduced him to a friend of mine who teaches a similar style of meditation. So he did learn this like through me. Um, but now he sort of does his own thing. Like he does like a combo platter and everyone's always so fascinated. Like, does your husband meditate? And he does meditate and we'll meditate together much more so recently. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the most special things when you can meditate with your partner. I've had a few relationships where that was present for a minute, and uh, that's very cool. I mean, because I'm going to do it no matter what. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I asked you about the second one because when I've, I mean, I've been meditating for 20 years, wow. but trying all sorts of different versions of that. And it wasn't until I met our mutual uh, friend, Jeff Kober, mm. and learned Vedic meditation that I really built the discipline of doing it for a very specific time, you know, 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. And for the first like two years, I was bestowed with this supernatural ability to just like, it's non-negotiable that I do the afternoon one. Mm-hmm. And then it just sort of drifted away and then so I set an alarm on my phone at 6 30 p.m to remind me and then I would do it and then the alarm would go off and then I would turn the alarm off and keep working you know mm-hmm. and so I'm struggling to kind of get back there because the second meditation and I want to see what your take is that's like that's the sweet one it's almost like the morning is just the bare requirement to get through the day mm-hmm. and you know be able to maintain somewhat of a witness perspective but the second one is when you really hit the bottom of the ocean yeah it's like so i'm kind of bummed that i haven't been able to keep that up lately uh so i don't know any tips for someone who has a hard time finding the discipline to just make themselves do it Mm -hmm. so many tips well one i would say if you don't have any meditation training please don't expect yourself to meditate twice a day people say well how many minutes should i should i meditate a day i'm like if you have no training then zero minutes like because otherwise you're just sitting there judging your thoughts as bad feeling like you're failing and then you quit I really think that meditation is like any other skill. And so it's like once you have some training, and as you did for two years, you were able to commit to it, which is huge. 
Um, but it's not uncommon that it, you, you start to plateau, right? And it starts to be just a habit and it starts to be like any other thing. It's not a shiny new toy anymore. And so what I would recommend practically is that you go sit in on the class again, maybe with Jeff, maybe with me, like maybe hear it through a different lens, like re-inspire your left brain. Because when you're meditating, right, your consciousness right. is expanding, but we need our intellect to catch up. And so if you go and sit in on the class again, you'll hear things through totally different ears. Plus group meditations really help to like recharge and refresh your practice and also i would recommend don't set that alarm for 6 30 set it for 1 p.m like way earlier in your day because then if you meditate earlier you're going to have this second wind of energy and creativity and productivity and also if you can't do it at one well instead of skipping the alarm you postpone it for 30 minutes or an hour you know and then you do it a little later but at 6 30 if you miss that then it's getting too late to do your second meditation right because right. and just for to catch people up like this style of meditation it's giving your body rest it's five times deeper than sleep so if you do that too close to bed, then it, it actually gives you insomnia. I I know I've made I've made that mistake before. Like mm -hmm. I meditate at nine thirty or something, <laughs> and like <laughs> I, then I try to go to bed at midnight. It's like yeah. no, now I'm totally hyped. Oh, you know? Yeah. So I'd say just do it earlier, and then just to quickly speak to like you know the second meditation is not twice as good. It becomes exponentially better because once a day meditation is very much maintenance. You're picking up stress and you're throwing off stress. It's like drinking a coke and getting on a treadmill. It's calories in, calories out, and so it's better than zero times a day meditation, but you're not really going to experience this expansion of consciousness. You're not going to start to see more serendipity and elegance and flow. Um, but twice a day meditation is like, here's the math problem that I like to use. <laughs> Let's say you wake up on Monday and you pick up 10 units of stress and you go to sleep Monday night and sleep burns away seven units of stress. So you picked up 10, sleep burns away seven. You wake up on Tuesday, you already have three units of stress. Pick up 10, sleep away seven, wake up on Wednesday. Now we have six pick up 10, burn off seven. Now we have nine, 12, 15. And most of us have been doing this for decades. Sleep has not been a restful enough form of rest to handle the level of demand that we've been under, which is why we learned to meditate. And here's the math on twice a day meditation. You pick up 10 units of stress. You meditate Monday morning, that burns away three. Meditate Monday afternoon, that burns away three. So you picked up 10, meditation burned away six. You only have four left. Go to sleep, burn away seven. Wake up on Tuesday, now you're at negative three pick up 10, burn off 13 on Wednesday, you're at negative six, pick up 10, burn off 13, negative nine, negative 12, negative 15. We just keep doing this bit by bit, day by day, until we've gotten rid of the entire backlog of stresses we've ever accumulated. And that takes time, right? It's not like a quick fix. It's like a seven to 10 year journey. <laughs> Most people, when they take my class, are like, hi, do you sell like a, a four day upgrade or something? Right, right. Um, but then the math on the once a day is basically you pick up 10, you meditate in the morning because that one's easy. You didn't set that alarm or you skipped that alarm or you didn't, you're too busy to do the second one. So you have seven left. You sleep away seven. You wake up on Tuesday. Now you're at zero. Pick up 10, burn off 10, zero. Pick up 10, burn off 10, zero. Pick up 10, burn off 10, zero. And then you're in this ever repeating known. You're in this maintenance program. And what I know for sure is that it's harder to commit to once a day meditation than it is to commit to twice. And I think it takes someone as disciplined as you, as committed as you, to commit to once a day meditation because you're not really seeing all that like juicy, delicious benefits. And the meditation itself is not as enjoyable because each session is going to be used as a time for stress release. So they're all going to be quite shallow and thought filled. Right. Yeah. Which describes like th when you only do the morning one mm -hmm. and that sweetness of the, the afternoon one is just like, oh God. I mean, I crave that. And luckily I have quite a few friends that meditate. And so, I mean, I we're such dorks. I mean, me and like my dude friends would be, or else we're super awesome, but we'll be hanging awesome. out. And it's like, if it happens to be afternoon, we kind of look around and it's like, 
Medi, Medi. And we'll like, we just all meditate a lot. I actually find I do it more when I'm around the homies than myself, which is strange, I think. This is more fun. But you, um, I mean, also, I think with myself too, one of the blocks to the afternoon one is that I tend to hit like a really strong stride between like 6 and 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. So, so meditate at like 3. Yeah, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> yeah, like, that's um, like, that's a best. Like, I'd say front load versus back load. Right, because then, then it'll get a little late. Like you're saying, I'm like, ah, it's 8 o'clock, better not, you know. You could even do it at like 11, 11, 30, 12, 1, 2. Just like you want to preempt your afternoon slump right. with the second meditation. And I also want to enlighten people to the idea that this meditation is a way to release stress and you have like, you know, your subconscious mind is just full of trauma and all of this crap that you've been holding on to forever. Mm-hmm. And is it common for people when they learn how to meditate and they've like actually received some training as you described and they have a very specific discipline, is it common for there to be sort of um, a storm before they start to experience the peace where it can bring up things and you get quite uncomfortable mm-hmm. rather than like, oh, wow, I'm all blissed out, I meditate now. Yeah, I'm actually writing about this in my book, um, which because I'm writing a book too. I am. Cool. Yeah, I got a book deal with Harper Collins. No way! Uh, yeah, Good for you. Thank you. It's called the M Word, and it wow. comes out in 2019. Oh um, my god, that's so feels amazing. so slow and long, but you know, it's it's a process. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm writing about it in the book because no one's really talking about this. It's it's a, I mean, depending on what style of meditation you're doing, it it can create a bit of a physical and emotional and mental detox, right? You're purifying your brain and your body. Well said, and, yeah, and, detox, yeah. Yeah, and no one's talking about this because everyone has this archetype of like, oh, the bliss bunny meditator, like you're meditating, why are you sad? You're meditating, why are you angry? But the reality is it's like this thing is going in and wringing you out. And so what we've clarified at Ziva is that Ziva is this uh, trifecta of mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting, the three M's. And mindfulness, which is honestly what most people think of when we say the word meditation, they're thinking of, you know, Headspace, a YouTube video, any guided app. So any, I would put all of those in the category of mindfulness, any directed focus, breath work, visualization, someone else guiding you, that's keeping you in your left brain. And it's more of a directed focus style of meditation. And it's really good at dealing with your stress in the right now. Right, I'm feeling stressed right now. Let me breathe. Let me do a visualization. Let me feel better in the right now. It's like taking an aspirin. You have, you have a headache. You take an aspirin. It helps your pain right now. Versus meditation, and specifically what we teach at Ziva, you're giving your body this deep healing rest. Rest that is five times deeper than sleep. And that deep rest is the thing that allows your body to heal from a lifetime of accumulated stresses and trauma, like you said. And when that happens, there is for most people a period of detox. I call it unstressing, right? And that looks different for everyone. It lasts for varying lengths of time. But most people feel quite tired, angry, sad, uh, irritable. Sometimes their skin will get like itchy or their tongue will get white. Um, sometimes their nose runs or their eyes start watering, like all kinds of crazy. I mean, it's literally like their body is expunging. And um, and so what I recommend, I mean, A, I warn people that it may happen. So maybe don't take this course the week that you're getting married or, you know, <laughs> right, the week yeah. that you're having a giant merger and acquisition with your company. Right. And now there's never a good time to meditate. There's never a convenient time to learn. So it's not like wait till you have no stress in your life. But I do recommend that people um, have a bit of extra time to rest when they learn to meditate. Um, and the, really the only thing to do in it is surrender to it. It's just feel it. If you're sad, 
sad, cry. If you're tired, take a nap. Um, and really, the more you can rest through that process, the faster you move through it. And then you are setting yourself up for a lifetime of more energy. I've had situations in which I'm going through a tough time emotionally, like, you know, um, losing an attachment at the end of a relationship, like something that's a real bummer or even um, career stress, like being at a turning point, having issues with business partners, things like that. And uh, I find that it's more difficult to meditate in those times <laughs> because it's so counterintuitive because y you feel like you need to fix the problem that's bothering you. Mm -hmm. And I've had an interesting experience with staying with the practice, even in those challenging times, those transitional periods, and using it sort of as a way by which to allow all of that stuff to just come out. I mean, more of a conscious way. Like in the beginning, I would find myself being super irritable and judgmental and kind of being an a-hole out in the world. And I'm like, wait, what? How is this? Why is this happening? I go, oh, I started meditating. And I would talk mm -hmm. to my teacher. He'd be like, totally normal. Cool. But then down the road, because it's been a few years now of, you know, like doing a more traditional uh, type of uh, practice is that I actually will just meditate and just feel feelings, yeah. you know, and it's like, it's actually a really cool tool to be able to work through emotional pain yes. by absolutely just like facing it head on. I mean, honestly, like, it's like the, this is it's the, the gig. best medicine ever. This is the gig. If we could give the entire planet of humans tools to allow them to heal their own trauma and their own pain, instead of taking it out on others or having, you know, revenge missions or passing it on to their kids with epigenetics or, you know, threatening nuclear war because your mom was mean to you when you were a kid, you know, it's like this, it's game changing. And if people have ever done, you know, Vipassana, Vipassana is like a 10 day silent meditation retreat. And the whole gig is that you're learning not to avoid pain and not to chase pleasure. And that might sound simple, but when you are sitting in excruciating pain, thinking that you might have to amputate your legs and you're not allowed to move, you find a way to, to mentally surrender. You find a way to pull the lens back. And the beautiful thing that happens is that when you surrender to that pain, when you just feel it, then you move through to the other side and it turns into like waves of full body orgasm, but it's not sexual. It's just this connectedness, this unity experience, but it's very waking state. It's, it's very different than what we teach at Ziva. I, I, I call it like psychic surgery, you know, because um, it's not, I don't know many people that are able to practice it in their day-to-day -day life. So it, I don't think it's very relevant as a daily practice, but I think the it's, Vipassana mm -hmm, route? Yeah. but I think it's hugely relevant as, you know, a retreat type thing and to, and to just sit, submerge yourself in that pain. Because if you can sit in the physical pain when it's that excruciating, then it's much easier to sit in the pain of a breakup or the mourning of a family member or the death of a pet or being fired and and the reality is we've been trained since we were children don't cry have a cookie don't be sad have a toy don't be lonely have some porn don't feel sad get on facebook don't oh don't be angry take some prozac like whatever you do don't feel you know, there's billions and billions of dollars of industry built on top of ensuring that no one ever has to feel a feeling. There are 44% of American adult women are on anti-anxiety or antidepressants. 44. What the hell? That's it's so wrong. Ridiculous. And that's not a judgment. Like if you're on yeah, it, it's yeah, not yeah. a judgment. And sometimes they can be very useful and very relevant. But I don't believe that 44% of American adult women have a Zoloft deficiency. I just right, don't. Right. I think that we've been trained never to feel our feelings. And then if you have some, someone's like, we'll just shut up and take this pill. Marianne Williamson's last book, Tears to Triumph, mm -hmm. was very much about that theme. 
my all-time favorite teacher, David Hawkins, wrote, wrote a book before he died, and then he left this book, Letting Go, which is The Pathway of Surrender, which is all about just feeling it, facing it. I interviewed um, Dr. Kelly Brogan the other day. Oh, great. Yeah, and from a, a psychiatric standpoint, that's her message is like, yeah. no. I mean, actually, I would say she would say like, some people need the pill. She actually is pretty brazen about just saying she doesn't believe really anyone needs medication. She's mm -hmm. a pretty radical view on that. So I don't know if she knows more than I do when it comes to uh, psychiatric care. But her message was essentially the same thing that was like really the only way around it is through it. Yes. And it, it seems to be just, it, it's an old, you know, an ancient or timeless spiritual teaching, of course. It's not like that that universal law or principle is new. Mm -hmm. It just seems to be a lot of people the hundredth monkey thing is kind of happening right now where a bunch of influential teachers are all sort of saying the same thing, like pointing to, Hey, surrender. if you want to grow, yeah, you have to surrender to that pain. And I've been doing that for the past 20 years, <laughs> you know, not like so soon much. I'm going to get to the bottom yeah, of this pain. Not so much knowingly, <laughs> but I got to say, uh, who was it that I interviewed on this trip to New York? Someone was saying that, um, all emotional pain, I think they might've been, uh, quoting, uh, uh, Pema Chodron, and it was like all emotional pain really only lasts 90 seconds. Oh, have uh, you heard that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so my friend Dr. Joan Rosenberg, she's a, P she's a professor of, um, she's a PhD professor of clinical psychology, and she just gave her first TED talk, and I actually just got her a book agent, and I think her book is called uh, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. Oh, wow. And it's basically this whole principle that, like, if you can sit, because it's, it's any unpleasant sensation lasts for 90 seconds. Wow. And then it shifts. Now, they might have many, like, waves of 90 seconds, yeah. but then it'll shift to something else. Yeah. So if you can sit in that, that fear, that jealousy, that anger, that hurt for 90 seconds, it will it will transmute. It will move to something else. But most of us like, no, I can't. I'm going to break down. I'm going to lose it. I'm like, you don't, nothing breaks inside of you when you cry. You don't lose anything except for some toxins out of your eyeballs and then you feel better. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, it uh, brings to mind, I took a, which I kind of regret in a way, but I took a road trip and I was supposed to bring a buddy of mine. I was driving from LA to Tahoe, then to Shasta and then back. And I didn't, I, like, I looked at the map. I was like, oh, I got this. And I drove by myself, which I don't advise. It was way too much driving for one person, at least if you're 46, with funky eyes. But uh, anyway, I did a lot of introspection on that trip, as one would. And there were certain points at which I would just have to cry. I just would think of some loss and just some pain that I had experienced. And, uh, and I'd be sitting there driving. And I was, exp I was really, like, consciously experimenting with this principle of just like, okay, I could turn on a podcast, uh, I could turn on some music, I could stop, I could grab some chocolate, I could like do anything, I could text my friends, I could call someone, and there's a million things even driving a car one could do to distract oneself from <gasps> that feeling in your chest that you get that we all run from. And I was experimenting just with like, hmm, let me just go into this fully 100%. And I would just drive and, and it was a great exercise in realizing that that 90 seconds, I didn't even know the 90 seconds thing, but it was probably about that, that I would like start bawling and these memories would, you know, flow across the, the movie screen of my mind and I would like think of people and situations and there was loss and there was sadness and then I would kind of like let myself feel it and then it would sort of sniffle out and I'd be like, hmm, that's it? And then you feel better. Yeah, and it was just like, that's what I've been running from my whole life. Yep. I mean, and also 
in in my case, I mean, taking some pretty extremely self-destructive measures by which yeah, to we'll avoid drugs, that. drugs, we'll get addicted yeah. to sex, we'll get addicted to porn, we'll get addicted to shopping, sugar, coffee, we'll do anything not to feel it. Yeah. Actually, one of the videos I send to my Ziva graduates, because we give them like a whole like online video course once they graduate, but one of them is this Louis C.K. video of him on Conan, and he's talking about exactly what you said, where he's driving and this Bruce Springsteen song comes on and he starts to feel some <laughs> feelings, and then he goes to like text his 50 closest friends friends and he's like wait i'm willing to murder myself and someone else because i'm afraid of feeling a feeling and so he pulls over and he says he cries like a little bitch his words not mine and then and he's gonna cry for like five minutes and then i felt better and so what he's talking about is unstressing he's talking about this detox process this cleansing this there is no way around but through and the reason why it happens on long road trips is because it's very repetitive and so you sort of go into your right brain which is similar to what the ziva technique does you're using these tools to help you access your right brain and it's sort of de-excited. It's a little bit of a trance state where the right and left hemispheres of the brain are functioning in unison. That's why that stuff comes up. there is an uncanny aspect of that, of the road trips where I think I've had like a lot of growth spurts doing not only road trips, but just trips by myself. Mm -hmm. Like many years ago, I took like a two-week trip to uh, the big island of Hawaii and I was doing like this cleanse and stuff, but I didn't know anyone there. I was by myself all the time. And I had like this massive awakening on that trip. I mean, Hawaii is very, you know, the energy there is very awakening too. But it was, um, it had a lot to do with just not having any distractions, mm-hmm. even just like a cool person with me that can distract me by just having fun and we're exploring and, you know, doing great things. But it was like one of those things where I, I was. Same thing on that trip, actually. Now I think about it, I was doing a lot of driving because it's a big island. They don't call it the big island for nothing. And I had this little shitty rental car and I wanted to see the entire island. So I spent a lot of time driving and just mm-hmm. reflecting and, and I was also, cha- I came back a changed man. Amazing. Yeah. Also, when you're traveling, you don't have a past there and you don't have a future there. You're, you're sort of forced into the present moment, which is also a right brain phenomenon, which is what we access when we meditate. Interesting. Interesting. So you mentioned the Ziva method. What are you guys up to now? What's mm. what's your current um, iteration of, yeah. of this practice? So yeah, it's been really exciting. We've been just working with a ton of high performers and, and really just adapting it to help them to perform at the top of their game and just asking them like, what's working? What's not? What are your blocks? Why are you quitting? What's, what's helping you to commit? You know, just all of the things. And there, there are pieces of this practice that I think are very, very powerful. And some of them are 6,000 years old. And it's like, if you wait, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I'm very much um, a stickler for like keeping pieces of it as pure as possible. So the meditation portion of Ziva, I like to teach in its purity. It's a 6,000 year old practice. And I think it's beautiful and it's really changed my life. And what we've done is that we're, we're now adding mindfulness to the beginning of it and manifesting to the end. So we're basically using mindfulness almost like as a runway, especially because I work with a lot of high performers and <laughs> recovering control freaks like myself. Um, and so it's very hard to go from like the inertia of your 60 mile an hour day, like going, achieving, doing, 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 and then just sitting down into that surrender, into that letting go. Sometimes that transition is just too much. So we use mindfulness as something to do, either breath work or sensory work as um, something active. It's left brain and it's a easier way like you're pulling the bow back on a bow and arrow than to transition into the surrender that is meditation and then you know like i said you're accessing that right brain that totality in the meditation itself and then we use that connectedness and then we manifest from there Um, because if you've ever read feeling is the secret by neville goddard no, um, I haven't. It's like 30 minutes on Audible. It's like really? the OG of The Secret. Really? Um, so I've been working with this amazing life coach. Her name is Lauren Zander um, at the Handel Group, which P.S. if you want to interview her while you're here, I'm sure she would love that. Oh, um, wow. She's 
hilarious. We did an event together on Monday, but she's been coaching me since March and I've never had a coach before. And she's a savant. Like she can just like read you in 30 seconds. But anyway, Neville Goddard, like she considers to be her teacher. And so one of the gigs is that when you're manifesting, the trick is really to imagine it as if it's happening now, you know, to put yourself into the feeling space as things are happening now. That's part of it. But also when you manifest matters and it's ideal to do it in these transition times. So like oftentimes people do it as they're falling asleep or as they're waking up. But as meditators, we have this beautiful gift that we're transitioning between left brain and right brain Holy twice crap, a day. I never thought of that. Yeah. So we have, I learned from Napoleon Hill to yeah. do your manifesting like right before you fall asleep yes. and then right when you wake up for that same reason. Exactly. But it never occurred to me to kind of marry that to meditation. Yeah. Cause now, cause we're dancing in and out of that state twice no, a day. You know, it's funny. I just realized like before and after I meditate, I'll actually like manifest bad stuff. Like that's when I go on social media because I'm already kind of like sitting there mm-hmm. and it's occurred to me like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't be like looking at politics on Twitter, like right when my brain is so mm. susceptible, you mm-hmm. know, it's interesting. So I, I might rethink that. Yeah. So, I mean, you so you guys, take, so yeah, like at the end, it's like, yeah. we'll start with gratitude and then we move into like a manifesting exercise um, that, you know, I walk people through during the course and I do, and really what I do is I teach people to be self-sufficient, right? I give them the keys to the car and the driving instructions so they don't need me anymore once they graduate from the class. But you can then come back to group meditation, sit on the class again, you know, basically for life or until I'm teaching. And we have, you know, an online training and an in-person training. And the, you know, like I said, we're shooting this new online course called Ziva Online that comes out next year, which I'm really excited about. But this is actually going to be the first time that like digitally we're, we're sharing the Ziva technique, which is like all three of these elements. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. So Good excited for you. to see how it goes. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's the way of the future. My fashion school, I think I mentioned to you, we're in 2018, we'll have stopped doing live classes altogether and just wow. do everything online. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're thinking yeah. about like letting the online be like step one and then the in-person can be step two. Yeah. Um, so we can really, so that once you're in the room with me, you can like take it much deeper and we can really go down the rabbit hole and really do like more advanced practices. And then people, and I had last week, I had people fly in from Sydney and Texas wow. and Colorado. And like that felt really exciting. Like that was a milestone too, to have people flying in from Sydney to take a meditation that's, course. Yeah, that that's a fun. testament that you're doing something right. Thanks. For sure. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Let's take a brief intermission to tell you about the upcoming launch of my brand new 90-day lifestyle design coaching program, where you can have the opportunity to work one-on-one with me. Just go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for a free 15-minute assessment call. We're going to have a quick chat to discover what your blocks are and find out how we can move you through them. Using my 20 years of experience in the fields of health and personal development, I'm going to guide you through my system of revolutionary mental, physical, and emotional transformation. This program is fully immersive. It's a deep dive into my nature-based philosophy of personal optimization. So based on your personal needs, we're going to work together to map out a blueprint for creating the happy and healthy lifestyle that you deserve, as well as a very practical approach to spirituality that you can actually carry into your relationships, your career, and your future. Here's the deal, though. Space for this program is very limited. I'm not even joking. I can only take on five clients per month, period. So go to lukestory.com forward slash coaching to apply for your free 15-minute consultation with me. And now back to the interview. When it comes to the manifesting, Mm -hmm. I've always had this, uh, it's sort of a razor's edge there because with the Esther Hicks and like all this kind of the secret and all this stuff, there was like a big buzz on that, like law of attraction and all that Mm -hmm. stuff for a while. And I explored a bit of it, but 
I think the, the razor's edge that I'm describing is like, where does manifesting in a surrendered way, like, hey, this is kind of my vision, what I'd like to happen, but I'm also aware of the fact that I don't know what's good for me and that there's a universal intelligence that probably has a more broad perspective on what would serve my highest good. And then there's the other side of like, you know, the risk of the egoic manifestation, which is like, I want all this stuff or I want this title or I want this man or I want this woman and this house and that more on the material plane where you can, you're susceptible to getting caught up in like the wants and the desires and that low energy of like lusting after stuff with that misbelief that when I get this or when that happens, then I'll be happy. How do we avoid that sort of the negative connotation of manifesting? Yeah, it's a really, really good question and very well articulated. And I actually had the amazing honor of being invited to speak at this thing called the Transformational Leadership Council. And it's actually where they shot the secret back in the day. So I was speaking for like Jack Canfield and the oh, group cool. of like John Gray and wow. when like titans in the industry. Wow. And it was really intimidating because I was like, what am I going to lecture these people on meditation? Like they literally wrote the book. Right. On yeah, John meditation. Gray's been at it for a while. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. He, had, he actually, I found out he broke the Guinness Book of World's Records for having the most books on the New York Times bestseller at the same time, which is seven. He had seven wow. books on he, the bestseller list. He may have broke the world record for celibacy too. He told me he was celibate for like nine or 10 years or something wow. insane like that. Yeah, like yeah. when he was in India. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. he's a master. Like that yeah. man I find endlessly fascinating. Me too. Um, but anyway, point of the story is that- He's I my was, number one um, downloaded guest. He's uh, been on the show twice. He's my number one episode. I'm going to listen to it tonight. I'm so excited. He's, I love that dude. He's a yeah. star. We've had some great talks off the air that I wish were recorded on like- Oh, like when he was hanging around with all those gurus and yes. stuff, because I always like think those guys are just the be all end all. And like off air, he was like, dude, a lot of those guys were full of shit. And like, they were in competition, like fighting for each other's followings. And he's like, being enlightened does not mean that you're not human. You know, he's like <laughs> yeah, a, lot, still human. a lot of those gurus that you think like have arrived, they had their shit. Trust me. So yeah, he, we all do. Otherwise you wouldn't be stories. human. Um, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I'm yeah. there. And so the secret, I think, I mean, I'm so thankful to it because it really introduced some of these ideas of that thoughts become things into the popular vernacular. And I think had it not existed, people like you and me would not be doing what we're doing. Um, because if you were to say at the Thanksgiving table like 15 years ago, oh yeah, I'm manifesting a new job or I'm you know, creating an ideal relationship, people would think you were totally insane. And now it's even in corporations, you know, I work with a lot of executives and like athletes, like Olympic athletes are visualizing what they want to have happen when they're competing. So anyway, point of the story is that there is absolutely a way to use manifestation as an addiction. And, and it, it preys on what I call the I'll be happy when syndrome. Yeah, and I think yeah. that honestly, the movie The Secret did do that. It's one of the reasons why it was so popular because it preyed on well, if I could manifest this Ferrari, then I will be happy. Like just make the vision board, think about the million dollars, write out the million dollar check, and then you will be happy. Whereas I think the more sort of like advanced and elegant version of that comes from the Vedas. And, and the philosophy there is that manifestation precedes desire. So manifestation precedes desire, which means that the thing is already on the way to you or you wouldn't even want it. And that your fulfillment is always and only found internally. And we know that because we meditate every day and we flood our brains and bodies with dopamine and serotonin. So you're quite like biochemically, you're accessing that fulfillment internally, but then you come out of the meditation and you still want to sleep with that guy. You still want a million dollars. So why do I want that thing? 
And so the Emily Fletcher take on this is not that, well, once I get a million dollars, then I will be happy. It's no, I already woke up and meditated. I flooded myself with happy chemicals, but I still want to make a million dollars. Why? Because that is nature using me to go and deliver my fulfillment. And this to me is one of the most beautiful reversals and benefits of meditation is that it moves you from being a bag of need looking to be fulfilled and it turns you into fulfillment looking for need and so i use my desires as gps as nature's guidance guidance nature's instruction manual of where it is using me in any given moment of where it wants me to go and deliver my fulfillment it has nothing to do with me making a million dollars or getting a ferrari or sleeping with that guy it has everything to do with who can i help what can i do who can i serve along the way and that to me is the big shift. And also hilariously, the more detached you are about the outcome, the easier it is for that stuff to show up. Yeah. Wow. That's got you. <laughs> you literally just answered my question better than I even anticipated that you would or could. Thanks. I you've think about this a lot. <laughs> you've obviously spent some time in this because yeah. I, th I think there's been times in my life where I've wanted to arrive at a certain goal. Mm hmm and I feel unsatisfied in my life. Like I just, I have an unsatisfied mind. I'm just like, however things are, I don't like this. And then, so I set my sights on getting a thing, get moving to the Hollywood Hills, like whatever, get there. And then it's kind of like, wah, wah, wah. yeah. and I'm still sitting there with an unsatisfied mind. And so eventually I think I came to the conclusion that if I'm not a person who has cultivated the ability to be totally contented and satisfied in whatever situation in which I find myself, then even if you take me from point A to point B, the guy that arrives at point B is still a guy who doesn't know how to be satisfied and contented within himself. So therein lies, you know, the, the uh, great failing of the American dream of like the material, not the American dream, but just the materialism, the you know, the human thing is like, would you call it the if when? I'll be happy when. Syndrome. I'll be happy when. Yeah. And so, but I never really really correlated that to the practice of meditation and that like really building up that those reserves of bliss chemistry and all of that stuff. And that's kind of where that, like, how can I just be happy sitting here in a chair? I'm not doing anything. I'm yeah. not getting anything like to the rational mind. It seems like I would go so far as to in certain cases seem like a waste of time. Mm. Right. When in fact, I'm actually building that own contentment within my own consciousness and my own vessel. So then I can have that house that I think I want or the relationship or whatever. And when it goes away, if it goes away, then I haven't gone away. Right. Because mm. I still own whatever I built within me, mm. which is cool. So you kind of become impermeable in terms of like what can get to you. We become self-referral for your happiness versus object referral. Uh, and I, okay. I think this analogy you'll like very much. And it's that of a man climbing the mountain. It's like if you're at the bottom of the mountain and you see and you think your happiness lies at the top of that mountain, all right, well I better get to climbing. And you climb and you climb and you climb and you reach the top of the mountain and you're still not happy. And now you've proven to yourself that you can climb a mountain and you can now see all the other mountains that you have yet to climb. So you think, oh, once I climb this other mountain, then I will be happy. You get there, you're still not happy. You do it again and again and again, and then you die. And that's what most people do. It's the I'll be happy when syndrome. Let me just acquire and hoard my way. Let me just get as much money as I can and as much shoes as I can and as much jobs as I can, and then I'll die. <laughs> and the thing is, we've been doing this research like since we were kids. If I could just right. get a, a bike or a car or a college degree or a girlfriend or a job or a vacation or a million dollars or a hundred million dollars or a jet. And once we have all that stuff, then we just want to get high and go to the park and not worry about managing our money all day. Right. So it's not that 
having a desire for something or wanting to manifest something is, is inherently wrong. It's, it's more of like our attitude toward it. And it's how. the belief that you think that that thing will make you happy. Right. right. So like, the, and this is sort of a, a big change between like the, the philosophy from the Vedas and the Buddhist philosophy. Um, so if you think about like the Buddhist philosophy is, well, life is suffering. And if you can transcend your desires, then you transcend suffering. But that's a pretty monastic way to go about life. If you could just stop wanting to have sex with that girl, if you could just stop wanting that million dollars, then you will be happy. But that's a reclusive m mantra, right? Like that's a reclusive way of looking at things versus the Vedas say life is bliss. 24 hour a day bliss, that's your birthright. Everything else is stress. And so you wake up, you meditate, and yet you still have those desires. So those desires are really just nature cueing you of where it wants to use you to go and deliver your gifts. Awesome. I love that. Mm. Wow, we covered some great stuff. I feel like because we didn't really get into your story because we already covered that, we're just like... <laughs> also, like if anyone has to hear my Broadway story again, they're probably just going to like shoot themselves. <laughs> <laughs> but it does exist. It does exist. If anyone wants to know like where, how she arrived at yeah. this place. Yeah. Cliff's notes, I was on Broadway for 10 years. I was stressed. I found meditation. I went to India and now it's all better. <laughs> that is, that is, that's the essence of the story actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the last thing I want to ask you before I give you the final question is give me some more geeky science. Uh, I want to sell... Uh, the the skeptics on the idea of meditation what happens to your brain and body when you meditate from a medical point of view like you know mm -hmm. clinical point of view well I'll s we'll start with what happens to your body when you get stressed right and if we want to understand that we have to go back in time a few thousand years say we're hunting and gathering saber-toothed tiger jumps out with the intent to kill body's going to launch to a series of chemical reactions digestion floods with acid to shut down digestion that same acid seeps onto your skin which increases body age it decreases skin elasticity um, then your Im bladder and bowels evacuate so you can be light on your feet your immune system goes to the back burner because who cares if you're going to get cancer if you're about to be killed by a tiger um, like it's a whole host of chem oh, adrenaline levels and cortisol levels increase which are also acidic in nature and so this series of chemical reactions is very good for you if your demands are saber-toothed tigers. But if it's in-laws or kids or red-eye flights or iPhone messages, then this fight-or-flight stress reaction has become maladaptive and it's now disallowing us from performing at the top of our game. And over time, it can lead to erectile dysfunction, um, immune fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome, infertility, belly fat, balding, premature aging, brain atrophy, in some cases, Alzheimer's, inflammation, um, like all of this stuff is a product of too much stress in the body over long periods of time and the body not able to run its own immune functions. And when you get stressed, when your adrenals are out, this impacts your endocrine system, your hormone system, your immune system, your um, fertility, like all of these systems get out of whack when the body's pH balance is off. Right. And because it's like it doesn't care about running any of those maintenance operation operations because all it cares about is the immediate survival from the immediate perceived threat. And so because predatory attacks are not in that distant of the past, you know, it was less than 100 years ago that we would actually be having to like fight off tigers and things or bears or, you know, dogs <laughs> or even other humans. Right. Um so now like human existence is relatively safe for like most of the world's population. We are living in the, even though watching the news would not feel like this, we're living in the most peaceful time in recorded history. And so 
our demands have changed. So when you meditate, not only are you getting rid of that adrenaline and cortisol, but you're actually flooding your brain with dopamine and serotonin, which are alkaline in nature. So you're changing your pH balance. So if you've ever drank a green smoothie, the reason why you're drinking that green smoothie is to make your body more alkaline. Well, the same thing can happen when you meditate. And then the cool thing um, that happens is that when you practice... Um, well, mindfulness lights up a very small part of the brain, but very, very bright because it's like focusing. But in the silent meditation that we teach at Ziva, it's all about surrendering, letting go. It's that deep rest. And the whole brain lights up, but not as bright. And so you're actually increasing brain cohesion. You're increasing neuroplasticity. And what happens is that over time of the right and the left brain functioning in unison and talking to each other, you start to strengthen something called the corpus callosum. Now, the corpus callosum is the thin white strip that connects the two hemispheres of the brain. And we've known for a long time that meditators have thicker corpus callosums than non-meditators, but we weren't able to prove if it was causal or correlated. But now we know that the longer you meditate, the thicker this thing becomes, which is like, I think a pretty cool party trick, but why would I want a fat corpus callosum? Well, everyone should because it's quite literally the bridge between your past and your future and your present moment. It's the bridge between the masculine and feminine sides of your brain. It's the, ma it's the bridge between your critical mind and your creative mind. And so the thicker this thing is, the easier it is for you to come up with all those great, like intuitive, creative problem solving ideas, even in the middle of a high demand situation. So say so you get into a fight with your partner and it gets pretty heated and then eventually you just like start crying or you shut down and you retreat to the bedroom. You fight or you flee, right? And then two hours later when you start calming down, you start coming up with all these hilarious witty comebacks and you're like, why? Why couldn't I have thought of that in the moment? Well, my hypothesis is, is that the thicker your corpus callosum is, the easier it is for you to download those great ideas when it counts, when it's go time, when you're in front of the board, when you're on stage, when you're doing the podcast versus like on my way home being like, oh man, I wish I had said this funny joke. It's like, no one cares how funny you are when you're not on tape. <laughs> yeah. Got to use it on the cab driver. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Mm. Wow, that's powerful. Mm. And then I also write a decent amount, just in case you want to put some clickbait in about yeah. sex. Um, I do write and talk a decent amount about how like meditation can give you like mind-blowing sex. And the it's not so, like the chemistry on this is not so deep. It's like if your body is preparing to survive, procreation is last on the list. It's like you don't want to bring a baby into a potentially threatening environment. And so, and also when your body is acidic, it's not a very hospitable host to, uh, to a baby. Um, and also if you're exhausted, which one in four cohabitating people in America report that exhaustion or tiredness, like me last night, is the reason why they're not having as much sex as they want with their partners. Um, and if you're doing this practice, which gives you rest that's five times deeper than sleep, then it, it stands to reason you might have a little bit more energy to get it on with your partner. Also, this is a cool thing that when you meditate, you actually increase your mirror neural activity. And mirror neurons are... Here's the Broadway showgirl's definition of mirror neurons. It's like my brain has boomerangs and your brain has boomerangs and they come out and they dance with each other and then they report back. So it's the reason why you can tell your best friend is in a bad mood before they even open their mouth. It's the reason why you walk into a meditation studio and you're like, ah, oh, it feels nice in here. Versus if you walk into a room where someone's been having a domestic dispute and it feels not so great. It's also the reason why porn is a multi-billion dollar industry. 
because we receive pleasure from watching someone else receive pleasure. We also receive pain from watching someone else receive pain. So if I were to like cut my hand right now, you might be like, ow, that hurts. And so the, the higher your mirror neural activity is, it's like you get more pleasure from watching your partner have pleasure. And so you become a more generous lover and you become more intuitive about what they want before they even know that they want it. So the joke I make is that you're like, your level will think you're psychic once you start meditating because <laughs> you're intuiting their um, responses. Also, what I also warn people is that if you are not trying to get pregnant, you need to wrap it up when you start meditating because your fertility really changes. Um, really? Because mm-hmm, both partners become less acidic and more alkaline. And I think that sort of esoterically, there's just like a line of souls waiting to come into houses of meditators. Right, right. But also chemically, I do a lot of work with, with pregnancy and women because it's like for my same time and energy, I get to make two meditators instead of one. There's actually a really cool new company that I'm on the board of and the face of. It's called Expectful and it's guided meditation for pregnancy, which if you want to interview the founder, he's amazing. I'll put you guys in touch. That'd be great. Yeah, he's great. Um, his name's Mark. He's a student That's of two deliverables I got from Yeah, you. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and they're wonderful. good ones. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead. I know you got to get out of here, so I'm going to get the last question out of you, which you've answered before and I don't recall, of course, what I don't even remember was. what the question is, so. Good. Okay. <laughs> so, I've learned so much sitting here talking to you, even though we've talked before. Like I have a whole new download <laughs> to work with now. I'm going to have to listen to this one again myself. Uh, so who have been three profound teachers or teachings in your life that you might recommend that our audience goes and checks out? Mm. It's interesting. I mean, at the moment, I would say John Gray. I just recently met him and I'm really fascinated with him. Like, I actually want to see if I can apprentice him. Um, I would love to do that too. He's <laughs> yeah. next level. Yeah, he's next Dude, level. his work with the hormone situation is insane. And it's and insanity. getting to meet him personally, I realized like he's an actual wizard and what he's putting in his books, I mean, while amazing, is only a small portion of his vast expanse of knowledge. And so I'm excited to get to know him more. Um, Actually, I would say Elena Brower as well. Um, I don't know if it's because she's on the mind, but and she and I are are like good acquaintances, becoming friends. And what I what I love about Elena is just being around her is like a masterclass in being a human. You know, watching her as a mother, watching her as a business owner, watching her as a teacher, watching her energy as she teaches class. I I, I learned so much from her, and it's really. I mean, yes, her words are beautiful and yes, she's so smart, but it's more her being. It's her actual state of being that I find so intoxicating and that I want to learn so much from. And a third teacher right now, I would say David Hawkins as well. Yeah, I'm just getting into his into his books. Like I'm only on power versus force and it's my first one. But every paragraph, I'm like, yes, he basically just taught my whole four-day class in one paragraph. Right, <laughs> like, right. How does he do that? Yeah. How does yeah. he take these giant concepts and communicate them so succinctly? That's cool. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was the first book I got by him too. And I probably had it for three or four years and I... I couldn't read it. It was just too like dry and sort of dense for mm-hmm. me. So I got the audio book, which was also really hard to listen to because he read it. And he, the way he spoke was very dry and dense. And then what clicked for me is I got some of his lectures on oh. audio. And I was like, ding, I get it. How, where do you find those? I mean, they sell them on their website and stuff. I okay. mean, if you're interested, I have yeah. literally hundreds of hours. I can give you a Dropbox link. And I mean, I'm happy to pay for them. Like, I want to like, what is the state know, or whatever? I shouldn't say like, that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if maybe they're copyrighted. <laughs> Never mind. Off the record. Uh, Off the record. I'll, I'll give you the link to buy them. 
Um, <laughs> but once I started hearing him talk, and then I went to see him a couple times in Sedona, actually, uh, his last talk I saw, which was all about love, it was just mm-hmm. profoundly beautiful. But once I heard his lectures and went to see him, I was like, oh, then I could actually read his books, even the yeah. really dense one. I was like, once I understood sort of his, uh, you know, his take on it all. But yeah, he's mm-hmm. he's my guy, man. That dude was yeah. on point. Yeah. And um, also, can I add in a fourth? Just sure. my dog. I think my dog is like seriously my greatest spiritual teacher I've ever had. What's your dog's name? Muggsy. Muggsy. Cool. We'll if give Muggsy a shout Follow me out. on Instagram. You'll see a lot of Muggsy. I was going to say we can't put Muggsy in the show notes, but we can put your Instagram. People can find oh, him. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I have two. One is just at Ziva Meditation, and that's where we're giving meditation tips, and I do live streams and stuff. But um, my personal is at Emily Stella Fletcher, and that's where I, I try to keep my Muggsy photos <laughs> contained awesome. to my personal one. And that segues beautifully into uh, the last closing of the show um give us any websites or anything you want to promote yeah so i would check out ziva z-i-v-a meditation.com and you can get to either our in-person or our online trainings through zivameditation.com um and the new the um i don't know when this will come out but our new online course is like launching for realsies early 2018 Um, but there is an online training happening now as well Awesome. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. Well, thank yeah. you for making time for me today. I appreciate My you. My pleasure. It's great to see your new space. And uh, I think we've got a lot of value in here. So thank you very much. My pleasure. Damn, that's what I'm talking about. That's how we kick off 2018, you guys, talking about some deep stuff. But I think at the same time, very applicable. So I'm really excited to move into this new year with you. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of the year. And I'm hoping that if you are a meditator, that you're inspired to take your practice to the next level. If you're someone who has not tried meditation because you think it's boring, frustrating, you're not good at it, you see no point in it, why would you want to do it? I want to really, really encourage you to check it out. You could, of course, check out Ziva Meditation online. There's a number of different paths. I think they all lead to the top of the same mountain. You know what I mean? But uh, just a perfect way to start the year. And I'm so grateful for Emily and the other fantastic guests that I've got in the can ready to release over the next coming weeks. You're going to be super stoked. We've got some great stuff coming at you. As I said earlier before the episode, you want to catch Robin Burzen, MD, founder of Parsley Health. That is our next episode on Tuesday. And we talk all about the uh, difference between natural and hospital childbirth. It's really intense. So don't miss that one. And uh, I think that's all I've got for you right now, folks. Um, Other than the fact that I, of course, like always want to encourage you to join my mailing list, lest I forget that one. That's really important. Let's move into 2018 with you getting some regular emails from your host, Luke. I've made it really easy for you to join. You can unsubscribe if I annoy you, but I don't think I will because I don't send a bunch of weird spam. I really do my best to be respectful of your email because I can't stand getting junk emails. It's super annoying, especially if you're kind of (laughs) OCD-ish. Like I can't stand that clutter. So I will not do that to you, but you can leave it anytime if you decide you don't like my emails anymore. Here's how you get on the email list. If you're on a US phone, type this word into your text app lifestylist one word all lowercase lifestylist the number you're going to text that word to is the number 44222 so get out your phone right now you're probably listening to the show on it just stop for a second just do this okay you will not regret it type the word lifestylist one word all lowercase no quotations no funny business case sensitive to the number 44222 
If you're outside of the USA or you just prefer to do this on a browser, you can easily go to lukestory.com forward slash newsletter and put in your email and we're good to go. And I'm going to start sending you super rad stuff, not the least of which being notifications when I'm doing something exciting and live in the moment, such as running a Facebook Live behind the scenes video feed on the Facebook group for the podcast live for you to see all behind the scenes action. And also I do that a lot on Instagram live. I'm just all over social media. So if you get on my email list, I'm going to be giving a lot of really valuable content. All right. So thank you so, so much for your support. Thank you for listening. This is my dream and I am living it into 2018. And right now in this moment, I swear to you on my life that I'm going to do my afternoon meditation right now, as soon as I drop this mic. So while I'm doing that, if you're still eager for some more spiritual download, you can go back to the New Year's Eve show, Luke Live at Aspen Shakti, which came out on Sunday night. I think it's a good one. If you're interested in this kind of stuff, you might enjoy it. And on that note, I'd like to wish you and yours the happiest new year ever. Hey, and don't forget to go to lukestory.com forward slash support, where you can throw in a couple bucks to help keep this party going. You can do a one-time pledge or even a monthly contribution, and any little bit helps, I swear. So go to lukestory.com forward slash support and show some love. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks. Thanks.